<clears throat> Good morning again, everyone. Thank you. Uh, today, we are, uh, maybe, we are going to conclude uh, what we've been working on, walking in the Spirit on the inside, this idea uh, that God is deeply interested, deeply committed to the transformation of every individual to rightly and completely reflect all that He is into this world. And we've been doing this um, with an acronym that we've used. But today we're going to focus on endure hardship well. Now this comes in this context, I'll keep repeating, that what's changed when the gospel enters into our life in a real way, when we enter into relationship with Jesus Christ, that we are now walking in the Spirit as a way of life. Our daily life must be transformed. If you don't allow the Spirit to be a part of your daily life, my opinion is you will have a mechanical, legalistic, and frustrating life. It's just the way it is. So if your life seems legalistic, mechanical, and frustrating, if you struggle to grow, if you struggle to change, if you don't like a lot of people, if a lot of people don't like you, if you hate your job, if you hate where you live, if you hate the vehicle you drive, I might want to suggest that maybe the Spirit has a whole different level it wants to take you to in your daily life. Number two, that our heart and mind, that God says he will give us his heart and his mind. It's his to give. And he says, I'm going to share that with you because you're going to need that to think the way I think, to like what I like, to move away from what I move away from, to engage what I engage, to overlook what I overlook. You are going to need my mind and my heart. So those things need to become important to you. The third thing is to recognize and embrace that we are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. We are his spokespeople. We have the authority and the purpose and even the responsibility to speak on his behalf. And so it kind of, it kind of moves out the wishy-washy of maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know what the Lord's will is. I don't know this. I don't know that. God isn't speaking to me. I don't know this. I can't, I can't understand this. If you are a person that can line up all those things and feel like that kind, of, that kind of your life, then I would suggest that our understanding of the Spirit walking with us needs to take a new level so that we rightly can take that place of being an ambassador of Jesus. I was uh, praying, uh, Melinda and I were praying for someone a couple of weeks ago. This person was in the hospital, and we spoke with authority over this person's life, and we commanded sickness and disease to go in the name of Jesus. The question is, can a Christian do that? Can a believer do that? According to the Scripture, that is not only something we can do, it's something we are called to do. That's what Jesus did. He said, this is the way I do it. Well, we, we met that person again who's still in the hospital. Um, yesterday, I think, or day before, I don't know what day it was. This person made this comment about how they were so afraid when I spoke like that. And they were waiting for the lightning to come and strike us. You see... Much of the world does not understand that this is what God gives his people. 
They don't understand ambassadorship. And these are church people. These are people that are called to do this and haven't quite understood how to embrace. And then the last thing is we are endowed with the wisdom that God has that will bless and I believe will wow the world when we come with the wisdom of God. I mentioned this acronym we've been working through. It's called RARE. It's from the book RARE Leadership. And the, and the letters stand for remain relational. Stay in relationship. It will be a part of your growth, a part of your development. Act like yourself. Act like the person that God created you to be. Return to joy. Always come back to, the, to that what we called jet fuel that changes the circumstances over to a positive. A negative times a negative is a positive. It's that multiplier that takes it into the surplus, no matter what our circumstances is. And then today we begin in this endure hardship well. Now, I understand that in joy, we've been talking about joy, and it's hard to talk about joy without talking about hardship. Because joy, as we often see it, is when we get that new car, when we have that new boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, when we win the lotto, when things, these circumstances line up that we go, wow, I just love my life. I love my wife. I love my kids. My kids love me. And we long for those moments when those lines all come together. But how often do they really come together? I mean, how much of our life is really where all those lines are intersecting? Some of us cannot remember that moment, but we still look for it. We still long for it. We yearn for it. And what Jesus would say is, what you're yearning for, what you're yearning for is found in the joy of the kingdom, not in the circumstances of this life. In this life, you will have troubles. You will have hardship. And to sell something else is selling something that the world has put on the shelf. You know, and, and no matter how much we might think and talk about this, I, I believe there's this overwhelming concept among Christians, believers. Um, I, I hesitate to use the word followers. I'm not sure if we're good at following, but we're, we're in the mix there somewhere. That, you know, when things are going really bad... Um, if we know the reason for that, you know, something's going poorly in this person's life, but we say, well, they're doing this, they're doing this. We look and we see they're compromised in some ways. We're comfortable with that. Well, look at his lifestyle. I mean, he's, you know, he's got this compromised lifestyle, so his life is compromised. We're, you see, we can make the equation work there, can't we? But what about if these aren't consequences? What about if the hardship in this life had nothing to do with those things. Then we have more tension. Even believers have more tension. But the scripture describes life like that. You know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, by the time I was 54 maybe, I'd had cancer and a heart attack. I'm serving God, trying to with all my might. I'm, I try to live a decent life. I... I don't know how healthy my lifestyle is, but it wasn't worse than everybody else's if I can use that phrase. So how is it at 54, I've had a heart attack and cancer? I, I think it's the wrong question. I, I think 
We haven't even reached a question at that point. Those are just the circumstances in my life. That's, that's my road. But it is a road that God meets me on. And it's a road that can be filled with joy that those circumstances won't identify or dictate in my life. So we have this idea that circumstances, you know, if my actions deem a bad life, then we're okay with that. Then we struggle with, gosh, what's wrong with that person? Maybe I had somebody say, well, I think you must have a curse on your life. You see, we're looking for answers around hardship. But what if hardship is a part of this life? What if it is a part of the makeup and the chemistry of the life we live? What about if humanity is in the reality of hardships? What about if that's true? What about if it's a non-starter as a question with God? Then what is the value of a hardship? In rare leadership, they make the comment about church leaders schooled in biblical language in the idea of struggle and sacrifice and, you know, phrases like no pain, no gain for those of us who would like to make that equation work. But the idea of enduring suffering is much deeper than that. The idea of suffering not taking your legs out from underneath you, not making you quit, not making you stop, not taking your spirit away from you, not breaking you. The idea that suffering has a quality and a value all its own that we don't want to admit. That's what the scripture would say. Jesus suffered in this life. He suffered and he said, you too will suffer. I am persecuted. You will be persecuted. I think in the U.S. that seems completely foreign to us. But that reality is real here too. I, I know people in this room right now, if I were to say, when you try to really follow God, does Satan come against you and you have a fight and a struggle? I know people that their hands would go up right now. Is that persecution for your faith? It absolutely is. Sometimes that will be personified. Sometimes it will be people that make that happen. But the reality is following Jesus represents its own hardship. If we don't learn how to suffer, then we will spend all of our life avoiding suffering. And that will become the goal of your life. That will become the measure of success for your life. Did I avoid hardship? I was skiing with a friend of mine. We were in Winter Park, Colorado, and uh, we were coming down the slopes, and it was a black diamond, and um, I'm trying to turn and burn a little bit, you know, and crank it, and I would, I would spill. I probably fell like four times coming down that run. And when we got down to the bottom, my friend, who's very cautious and very, uh, stable and very slowly and one turn at a time. We got to the bottom. He said, hey, I didn't fall down a single time. I said, well, you see, that was your goal. My goal was to ski that mountain. My goal was to make that mountain mine. My goal was to run it. And now I'm going to go do it again. You see? You see the difference? One, you're living it. 
One, you're in pursuit of it, not trying to defend yourself against life. We have to come out of this idea of I am here to avoid hardship. If we don't learn how to do hardship, then we will indeed work to avoid hardship. That's the way it is. But when hardship loses its power to dictate your path, that doesn't mean we run into hardship with every effort we can. It means that we live the life Jesus has given us and the hardship that is there becomes an instrument of God for our life. Can you embrace that? Can I hear an amen there? Because that is the truth. And until we can get that, we're still going to shy away from hardship. We're going to shy away from hardship. And to shy away from hardship is to shy away from the very things that God is working, doing the heavy lifting in our soul. James 1, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. What is wrong with that statement? I mean, you just think about in our normal thinking, it's like, wow, that guy's just a masochist. What is wrong with this thinking here? The question is, what is right with this thinking right here? It's like, when these troubles come, you should reach for joy knowing that there is something good happening here. It's a great opportunity. It's for you know that when your faith is tested, when there is hardship coming to bear on your skill set, on your metal, on your substance, when that hardship is hitting your substance, it's in that moment that we know God is in play in my soul. And my soul is not going anywhere. My soul is eternal. My salvation is secure. I am here. I am ready. I am right. Only thing that matters now is, will this hardship make me flee and not grow? Or will I do this hardship well? And I continue to buff up. Tomorrow, spiritually, I will lift more weight than I can today. Tomorrow, I will fight a better fight than I fought today. Tomorrow, I will lift more than I can today. Tomorrow, I will see more than I can see today. That's what happens when we endure hardship. You see, the very thing the enemy brings against us is the very thing that God uses to develop us to become invincible. I like that word right here. That word is good language for the church. Tested. What happens? Our endurance gets greater. It's a chance for it to grow. So let's grow for your endurance is fully developed. It will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When I was in junior high school, I had an Army general, retired Army general as a coach. And, you know, at the beginning of school, they'd have you do the, you know, running and push-ups and pull-ups and stuff. And then they would do it at the end of the year. And I, never real, I didn't know at that time that that was kind of the measure, you know, how you changed across the year, which usually was, I don't think anybody really changed from going to gym an hour a day. But, but anyway, the coach was walking by me. I was doing these push-ups and... 
you know, I didn't do very many. He was making fun of me. He mocked me. And he did it in a way that a retired Army general would do, you know, you know, and just calling me names and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, I went home that night, and I did 10 push-ups, which is about all I could do. The next morning, I got up, and I did 11 push-ups, and that night I did 12. And the next morning, I did 13, and that night I did 14. And every day, I upped one in the morning, up to one in the evening. We got to the end of the year. I was pumping them out. I was pumping them out. Finally, everybody is finished. And the whole gym class is counting as I'm just cranking them out. And the coach is standing there, and I decided, we're going to take it up a notch. So I started whistling while I was pumping them out. It was like 198, 199, 200, 201. I'm just pumping them out, just pumping them out. And finally he got mad at me. He told me to stop. I said, I don't need to. If you want, I can do this all day long. You see, that's our message to the enemy. The more it comes to bear, the more Christ will transform all those things. And I become invincible. My ability to endure will, will curse my enemy, who is Satan and those who follow him. I can still do, I haven't done, I could still do 50 push-ups right now. And that and I was, you know, a thousand years ago. But it's from that training, that time. First Timothy, chapter 4, verse 7, kind of starting in the middle of it. Train yourself to be godly. Do you hear how that puts it on you and I? Embrace your part. What we really want is we want God to, you know, we come up, we get prayer, you know, somebody, and the Spirit hits us, and our sin falls away, and our temptations become powerless, and now we have no more struggle. But, you see, that doesn't really communicate what the Scripture communicates. What the scripture communicates is there's two things going on in, in, in hardship. The old self is being marginalized and dying. And the new self is being given greater and greater power of life. Both must happen. Both must happen. You see, we still have to let the old self go. Now, that's not as easy as it sounds. And here's the reason why. We have nothing to replace it. I come to Jesus today. Jesus, come into my life. Fill my life. Uh, make me whole. Forgive me of my sins. And he says, bam, you got it. We're now on the same team, and I'm going to help all that become true. I remember, there's still a whole self in me. With all my ideas, all my understandings, all my biases, all the things in me that some are good, some are terrible, a lot of it's in the middle, but it's all there. And then God goes to work. Now, you see, for him to put all the good stuff in me means that a lot of that other stuff has to go. 
That's the process we're talking about. No matter how it happens, the old self has to surrender. And hardship makes that easy and possible. When I say easy, what I'm saying is you can see it. When I'm just, you know, doing good and living good and everything, I really can't see my weaknesses. But when something happens that sets me off, when something happens that lights my fuse, when something happens that short circuits my soul and I'm angry and I'm mad and I've been, I've been violated, I, there's an injustice in my life, there are people taking advantage of me, lying about me, there's something not fair, whatever it might be. And now I see for the first time how ugly I can be. Now I see a side of me that I really didn't know was there. Often we just look at it, well, you know, I lost my temper. I called him like a bunch of things, but it just, you know, just, I just lost my temper. It's all it was. And God would say, you want a second opinion on that? I, I don't think that was you losing your temper. I think that was the old you. That was the flesh that was showing it's still alive and well. So why don't we call that what it is and why don't we address it for what it is and why don't we see that that is stopping you from being the endurance runner, the hard-flying, high-flying, very capable person of God that is invincible. That's in the way. You see, we don't get to that part with Jesus where we hear that is in your way from growing and being who you are. We want to we write that off as an anomaly. Oh, that, you know, oops, my bad. But the truth is, that is the old self, the flesh being revealed. It's been revealed. That's the whole point. Hardship reveals the weaknesses. You put the weight on it until the chain breaks. Then you know where the weak link is. That's what hardship does. That's why you see it as such an instrument of training for us. Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training has some value. But godliness has value for all things. You hear that? All things. For your relationships. For your professional life. For your friendships. For your health. For your energy. For your spirit. For your children. Your parents. For the community around you. The globe. Everybody wins. When godliness grows. Everybody Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Forgive us, Lord, when we downplay the value of such training that is capable of changing this life and the life to come. You see, this is what hardship does when it's done well. Many of us, you know, we look at, I'm going through trials. I think God's teaching me something. I wish he would hurry up and get it done. Anybody ever said that? My hand's up. I don't know what you're teaching me, God, but please hurry up. You see, that's just another way of saying, I want out of the hardship. I just don't have a way to sneak out of it. I don't have a way out. That's what I'm really saying. If I could sneak out of this, I, uncle, I'm ready to quit. I just don't have a way to quit. I'm unemployed, and I don't have a way to quit that. 
You see, the language needs to be not, God, whatever you're teaching me, I hope you hurry up. God, I'm glad you're teaching me. I'm thankful that this is the place where your joy comes into my soul. And the fact that hope and truth and love are anchoring me in this moment. And the fact that whether it's something I've done wrong or somebody else has done wrong that's created this is not the point. The point is, you're here and your truth is here and your hope is here and your love is here. And that makes this a very good moment for me. Makes it a very, very good moment for me. And I will not surrender my joy in that moment for any circumstance or any reason, no matter how bad it is. And I don't care what I've done wrong. I cannot surrender. I will not let guilt and shame dictate my life anymore. I will move directly into joy. I will take that joy. I will seize it for what it is. It is my hope in this moment, in this day, to take me forward. Somebody needs to say amen to that or I'm going to come out there. Paul gives his own testimony in 2 Timothy, starting in chapter 3, uh, in verse 10. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. You see, what he's saying is, you already see the fruit of my, of my hardship. You see it. Persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's saying that you've seen the hardship and what it's produced. Patience, faith, love, purpose, endurance. It's produced these things. He's saying this will be your journey. Stop trying to get out of the journey. We see in 2 Corinthians, I don't know. I'm not convinced it's chapter 1. But, yeah, it is. It probably is chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. He comforts us in our troubles. That means the troubles I created for myself. You know, I drank too much. I drove through a red light. Now I'm in jail. I'm the pastor. I'm looking at a $10,000 fine, losing my license. I'm really totally embarrassed. Blah, blah, blah. That didn't happen to me. But, you know, those things happen, don't they? I really need to return to joy right there. I need to see the value of that moment. Yeah, I cost it. My bad. But you see, if I let it be, if, if I say my bad, I have to pay the price for. My bad, I have to suffer for. My bad, I have to experience humiliation and, 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 and guilt and shame. You see, it defeats what was done on the cross. All that was done on the cross. I need to move forward from my failure. I need to step into victory from failure. The whole point of the gospel is it picks us up in failure and it brings us into victory. Amen. Thank you. 
He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble um, with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just what we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we will also comfort abounds through Christ. It says that hardship develops a natural pastoral depth to every person. To every person. It means that the things that I failed at have, a, have an ending and a perspective that brings blessing and hope to other people. It means the things that I didn't fail out can deliver the same thing. I become potent. I become invincible as someone who can be a blessing to the entire world. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7, and we'll take it through verse 12. I really enjoy the language because it puts together the humanity and its frailty and the power of the kingdom together. And it describes how it operates. It's a, it's a powerful verses. It's worthy of you memorizing these verses in any translation you like. But we have this treasure. That means the gospel. That means Jesus. All that that implies. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's who we are. We're vessels. Ordinary clay vessels. We have it. We have it. I have it. You have it. We have if you were to, if you were to, I see it as almost like, if you, if you know anything about black holes, it's like, you know, and it sucks everything in like moons and suns and planets and stars and it's all in, you know, little thing like this about that size in theory by the time all this stuff gets sucked in. And I see that in the opposite. I see that the entire kingdom of God, all its power, all its authority, all its resource comes into this tiny jar of clay that we can call Bill or Rick or Chris. But it's all there. It's all in that jar of clay. This all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You hear those differences? Is there hardship there? Absolutely. It's full of hardship. But no one is broken in spirit. No one's legs have come out from under them. No one has resigned to something less than being a jar of clay with the entire power of God in it. That's the difference. That's who we are. We are always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. I'm always carrying around the death of Jesus. Isn't that an interesting connection here? It ties in this idea of all the power of God is right here in us. And we're dragging around death with us. 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. We're dragging around the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. All of this has a purpose, and it's showing that we're carrying around death, we're using it to produce life. For we are all alive, are always being given over to death for Jesus. That means that the self is dying. That means that my responses to injustice are giving up ground to the responses that I get from the kingdom of God, from his person. It means that as I walk along, I experience death every day that I might experience life every day. It means that every day I look for places to surrender that I might find places to pick up life. It becomes the equation of my soul. It becomes the search that I never get tired of. All the places that I can trade this for this. All the places I can surrender that, that I might obtain this. You see, that becomes the quest of every believer. They understand the economy of God and they step into it knowing that this is the reason we have joy. Is every time I experience death, I get life. And that is joyful. That's what I carry with me everywhere I go. It produces life in me. And it produces life in others. For we are always give, being given over uh, to death for Jesus' sake so that his life also may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now, you see, this is where the language turns it out. So here's what I want you guys to do with me right now. Verse 12. You see, death is at work in you so that life is at work in those around you. Do you see what you've become? You've become an instrument of life through your death. So I want you to repeat this with me out loud. We're going to say verse 12 together. You ready? So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Now we're going to make it personal. We're going to say, so death is at work in me, but life is at work in you. You ready? So then death is at work in me, but life is at work in you. That's what we have to offer. We are this community. And hardship is not our enemy. Hardship is not something I have to be afraid of or work to avoid. I, you, we are a people that walk with the Most High God. He is not shocked. He is not surprised. He is not caught off guard. When I go into a hardship, he knew it was coming. And there's already a plan for death to produce life. 
So I don't have to be afraid of people saying bad things about me or judging me. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid. I'm not regretful. I'm not angry. I want to make that equation work as many times as I can. Surrender death. Take up life. That's our call. I did hardship in one Sunday. And it wasn't even hard. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for what you're already doing today, for what you've done. I thank you for what you've put into the minds and hearts of your people today that are about our transformation. That's a, that's a nice word that is really talking about, about our death and our dying and our taking up of life. Thank you, Father, that you have made that transaction, that equation for us. You paid the price so that never again do I have to embrace guilt or shame for my actions. You paid the price so that I would no longer have to hold anybody else's guilty or hold them in shame for things they have done. You paid the price so that every evil thing, every wrong thing, every neglectful thing, Lord, comes in a new way that there is no price except a death for me, that I may take up life, that we might take up life. If you would stand. <clears throat>